Welcome to the podcast, 21 Stories of Coach Rome Village. My name is Joe Wadsack. You may be familiar with me from this morning, BBC Food and Drink. Uh, I'm a drinks expert, but we're joined today by a true expert in the wines of the Rhone, Matt Walls. Welcome. Thanks very much, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Lovely to hear from you. I mean, we haven't seen each other, obviously, since before lockdown. Yeah. How's it been for you? It's been OK. I've been mostly kind of hidden away in, uh, in France. There are worse places to be uh, enduring lockdown. Absolutely. Well, I'm mildly jealous of that fact, because um, <laughs> I've been hidden away in Wandsworth. <laughs> <laughs> Similar. Let's start with... What is Cote Giron? Explain to me what Cote Giron is. What is Cote Giron? Well, I think a lot of people listening will be familiar with, with, with Cote Giron wines. So what we're talking about is the Southern Rhone Valley, which is mm-hmm. southeast France. It's between Lyon and Marseille. So it's uh, quite a large area of vineyard, which is surrounding the town of Chateauneuf-du-Pape. And the Côte de Rhone kind of spread out all around the terraces and the plains and the hills around it. And it's a big region as well, isn't it? It's a massive region, yeah. So they make mostly red wine, and they actually make 166 million bottles a year of Côte de Rhone. So they make <laughs> an awful lot of wine. That would take you and I some weeks to drink, Matt. It would take at least a few weeks, <laughs> yeah. But I'm willing to try if you are. And I think it's extraordinary. I think if you put that into context of other countries even, yeah, uh, that's probably as much wine as, well, certainly almost half as much wine as the whole of South Africa, for example. Exactly, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a massive production, but pretty well known over here in England, I would say. I think it's quite well recognised. Yeah, I, I'd reckon, I don't know, I could be wrong, but with possibly one exception, I think it, more people know the, the words Coach your own on a bottle than virtually anything else, if you think about it, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, very, very well recognised. And um, I think they've been enjoyed in England for, um, well, for centuries, actually for, you know, over 150 years. So we've got a good good relationship with the Rhone. I'm not that old, but I've certainly been drinking it since I was a student. <laughs> <laughs> it was always, always, it's always been fantastic value for money. So I think that, you know, if you buy wine from very entry-level wines from this region going up, there's a nice logical progression to drinking better and better. I think that's one of the nice things about Coach Your Own, because there's not just Coach Your Own, is there, Matt? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So Coke de Rhone is, is the, the generic appellation. And a, a step up from there is a Coke de Rhone village. Mm-hmm. So, so village is villages. So there are 21 of these villages which are allowed to use their name on the label. So those are the ones that we're going to be talking about today. So they're known as the, the Coke de Rhone village, often called named villages uh, in the UK is what we call them. So I suppose they are um, the little corners of the Rhone, of this huge growing area that um, have something a little bit different to say or something a little bit special or something kind of unique about the style of wine that they make. And that's why they're allowed to use uh, their, their name of the village on the label. Oh, cool. OK, so basically it's not just a quality differential. It's also a wine of more authenticity, a bit more character, for want of a better word. Yes, I think that's exactly it. So I suppose um, what it is is some winemakers will get together, a handful of winemakers, maybe 10, maybe 20. Perhaps there'll be... Um, the, the wines will be historically recognised for their quality in one particular village or one little patch of, of clay or limestone in this corner or this one. Uh-huh. And um, so they'll get together and they'll say, right, so w- what is this character? What makes our patch of ground here? What makes this terroir so special? You know, what is the, the unique character that we have that other people don't? And I suppose what they're trying to do is express the uniqueness of this little, of their village, this little patch of ground that they have. That's fantastic. I think also when people talk about regions being old and been making wine for a long time and having heritage, I think few places can 
claim to have, have as big a heritage as Coach Road. Yeah. I was just reading earlier, actually, about one of the villages. Uh, there's a series of small walls there, which was, in fact, Julius Caesar's camp. Uh-huh. And they were growing wine then. Exactly. When we look about Coach Road Village, we're not talking about hundreds of years here. We're talking Romans planting wine and us still proliferating that, that well, I think, what the French call patron wine, that, that tradition, you know? That's it, yeah. So they've been making wine for at least 2,000 years here. Wow. So they're, they're constantly finding um, Roman like Caesar's camp that you were saying in Laudin on the west bank of the Rhone and various other artefacts basically from Roman times. It's extraordinary, absolutely. And also of course the Pope lived in Avignon for, for a while. It was the seat of the, of the, of the papacy so yeah. I know that a lot of the wines were favoured by the Pope so they were pretty much exclusively drunk by people from the Vatican. That's right, yeah. When the Popes moved over to Avignon, so they lived in Avignon for a period of time, that was uh, one of the important historical times for for the Rhone and and the development of the wines and and also kind of the the recognition that they started to get from outside the local region as well. Of all the wine regions of France, I think there's one... that I think probably can be mentioned, which is Bordeaux. Bordeaux has some, for some reason, has this pan-galactic reputation. I think it's (laughs) partly because the hype, the news hype it creates from people charging so much money for them. (laughs) I mean, you know, I've always felt that every wine country tends to have two main wine regions that fight with each other, and then a third which always presents better value. I think in the scheme of France... That's what Rhone does. Rhone gives you world-class wine, as good as any other wines in France, but the very best wines are still not as expensive as wines from other regions. Yeah, to be honest, that's one of the reasons why I got so involved in the Rhone. You know, I mean, I, I love wine, I drink wine, and to be honest, you know, I don't have megabucks to spend on wine no. every week. So, so you know, I'm, I'm on a budget like everybody else, but I have found that you can really get maximum bang for buck when it comes to the wines of the Rhone. And particularly, I think... These named villages, they really offer a little bit of extra, little bit of extra value because they're a step up in quality. They offer a little bit of extra interest, a little bit of kind of a unique character, but often they're only maybe a couple of quid more than, than a generic Cote de Rhone. And I think they're a bit of an insider's tip, as it were. When you look at the variety, the character, the idiosyncrasy of the different regions that you're going to explain to us in a minute. The value of Cote Rome Village named villages is 80% of the wine for half or a third of the price. For the named villages, you can easily find something for 13, 14, 15 pounds a bottle. They also go up from there, but you know, you you, you can find stuff for, you know, half the price. And I, I'm always astonished by the value that you get. I, I, do, I do think that if people out there are drinking Coach Rhone and going, well, I don't buy Coach Rhone Village because Coach Rhone is consistently cheaper, there is a reason for that, guys. You really ought to pay the extra three or four pounds. Um, and I think that, you know, a good Coach Rhone probably gets in under 10 pounds. So psychologically, you've got the tenor to spend. But in all walks of wine life, if you pay an extra pound over the £10 price point, you're into a different area of quality. And I think that Coach and Village has a quantum leap up from where regular Coach Rhone tends to be. That's what I find when I taste through these wines myself, when I'm doing blind tastings, they often really stand out in terms of quality and interest, for sure. Coach Rhone really is only known for largely for its red wines, which is a damn shame because I love the rosés from the, from the Rhone and I really love the white wines. And I, I think it's quite a healthy step in the right direction that specific sites, particularly some of the sand sites and some of the hillier sites, are now growing more and more white wine because the white wines, I think, are 
amongst some of the most underrated wines in the world today. I mean, they're just amazing for the price. Yeah, I agree. I drink them a lot. Yeah, and in fact, we've got a rosé. We're going to start with the rosé today. So um, most of the Côte d'Arène is made on the East Bank. But on the West Bank, we've got a few different villages. So from north to south, we've got Saint-Andéol, okay. which is the most recent one. That's um, up in the north, up in the, um, in the Ardèche, the département of the Ardèche. Then we have Saint-Gervais, as we move down, uh, Chusclin, Luda, which is probably the, the best known and um, one of the largest um, named villages. There's some nice whites there as well, if I remember. They make lovely whites, yeah. They're historically very famous for their white wines. This particular terroir, they have quite a lot of sand and quite a lot of limestone. And it really kind of brings this kind of straightness and tightness of style to the wine. So that's what you get on the West Bank. You get this kind of straight, tight, tucked in kind of a style. Yeah, so tailored suit, sort of nice cut to the jib. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a shirt that's tucked in, you know, it's not just hanging out there. It's a little bit neater. I do like wines that have, have that kind of form. It's a bit like a well, it t- tastes well built, if that makes sense. Yes. Kind of like, like shut lines on an Audi. You know, you go, <laughs> that's a smart wine. There are no gaps there. It's lovely. Yeah. That's right. It's a sleek kind of a style. I've just kind of split them into four basic categories, really. So the first is the West Bank that we've just looked at. The next one, which I kind of think of as the northern quarter, is the far north of the southern Rhone. Right. OK. So here we have Rousset Les Vignes, Saint-Pantelion-les-Vignes, which are both super duper rare. Then we have Valéas Vison and Saint-Maurice, which are a little bit better known. We're surrounded by mountains, which, which represent the border of, of the Côte d'Arène growing area. So we're kind of starting to move up into the foothills of these mountains here. So you get a bit of freshness. And because we're a little bit further north, it's a little bit cooler. This is quite a hilly region, so you get a little bit more freshness in, in this little part here up in the north. We also have the hillside named village. Mm-hmm. Of this category, I would put in Roex, Puymaras, Vaison la Romaine, Segure and Sable. So these are all grown on hillsides. They're again up towards the mountains, which mark the eastern boundary of the, the Côte d'Arène growing area. These are big, um, heroic styled wines sometimes, aren't they? These are really butted up against the powerful wines of Chigondas. They're richer. Exactly, yeah. More flavour. Yeah. Do you know what? I'm going I'm to have to pour myself some wine. This is the best sound <laughs> in the world, by the way. But um, there we go. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, oh. thank you. Good, yeah, right. do continue. Sorry, Matt. Sorry. <laughs> In these hillsides you get, uh, like you were saying, it's very kind of rich, kind of classic, but often kind of a little bit of an aerial sense. You feel the breeze in these wines a little bit that you're getting down from the mountains. Ah. So you get that structure and power, but you get a bit of freshness as well. So you're getting the exposure from the, from the Mistral, from the cold airs from the Alps? There's the north wind coming down, which, which covers the whole of the, uh, of the Côte de Rhone, and it really kind of helps bring the temperatures down. It helps keep the vine- vineyards healthy as well. So um, it's easier for um, organic viticulture and biodynamic viticulture. I think people don't realise, actually, that this is such a boon. People are often looking for organic wine because they want the ground and the environment to be looked after, but they also want to look after themselves. And this region, because of the sunshine, the wind, there's almost no need at all for chemicals to stop things like humidity, mildew, mould. I mean, it's incredibly healthy, isn't it, Matt? Yeah, and increasingly so, actually. Because it's easy to do it and it's cheaper to do it. You're not spending money on chemicals. It's better for the people that work there. And often these are small families running these estates and and they don't want to be giving their, their children, you know, quite harsh chemicals to be working with on a daily basis. So, yeah, it's it's very possible to work organically down here. And just the, the fourth area that we hadn't touched on is the alluvial plains. So the kind of the flatter land, which give very powerful, kind of muscular, intense, concentrated wines. But the first one I've got here, actually, is, uh, is a rosé. Okay. It's the Domaine Picabas. 
and it's from a named village called Roix. You don't see it very often, it's quite an, quite an unusual named village, but one of the most beautiful. There's a big hill in the middle of the Côte de Rhone where there's two of the most famous crews or appellations. One is called uh, Kiran and one is called Rasto. And this is on that same hill, but it's just tucked around the corner facing east instead of south. So it's a little bit fresher, doesn't get quite so much sun. So let me just pour myself a little. Yeah, I'm going to digitally cheers you. <laughs> there we go. Cheers. cheers. <laughs> Let's have a little taste. Oh, I say. Yeah, that is delicious. So it's, it's a kind of pale salmon kind of a colour, really nice and fresh, but it has that roundness that you expect from Côte de Rhone. Yeah. Rosés. We all know about rosés from the south of France. Obviously, um, there's a, a real passion in the UK for Provence yeah. rosé. And I think that's largely because a lot of English people own estates there. When we grew up learning about wine and doing the courses and the exams, the wine that's always talked about is the Appalachian Controlli of Tavelle. Yes. I always, always felt that the Côte du Rhone rosés, like you said, this wine is tucked around to the east. It's a bit fresher. I imagine that diurnal temperature variation is a bit higher, the change in temperature in the morning and, and, and in the evening. So you end up with wines which have got the same flavour for, for slightly less alcohol. I've always found that Tarvel is a bit of a beast. You know, you need a big lump of saucisson to get through it, yeah? They're big wines. But this wine is a much better balance between alcohol and refreshment, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's only 13% alcohol, in fact. And part of that is down to the grapes. So this has a lot of Sanso in it, which is a grape I love, which I think is massively underrated. I adore it too, yeah. It's suddenly like the world's trendiest variety. Every hipster wants to drink Sanso, whether it's from South Africa or Lebanon or the Rhone. I'm really pleased because it's been been ignored for too long. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and I think weirdly, it's actually from relatively newer areas um, like South Africa, which has kind of brought Sanso to people's notice. But they've been growing it here down in, in, in the Rhone for centuries. Forever, forever. And it yeah. gives this little lightness, it gives this little crispness, a kind of cherry blossom kind of um, aroma, which just gives this lovely sense of freshness. So it's a really nice wine. So next is Domaine de Lorivert, which is a Vison. So this is up in the northern quarter. So it is, it's another hill a bit like the one where you see Kiran and Rasto, but it's a bit further north. It's the same kind of terroir, so it's this marl soils, which is a cross between limestone and clay. There's a bit of altitude and it's, a, and it's on this beautiful slope here, so you get um, good south-facing vineyards as well. So let me just pour myself a little taster. One thing that um, I'm often asked is... People talk about the soils and, and then people say, well, what's the relevance? Is it some kind of magic kind of alchemy? It's usually quite easy to explain why the soil in each case is doing good to the wine. And I, and I think that if you've got a mild base here, we're talking about a, a mountain which is heavily sun exposed, which has wind during the afternoon and the evening, which desiccates the ground. It, takes all of the moisture away. So if you've got a big, heavy, marl clay soil, it retains lots and lots of humidity and moisture so the plant can survive. And that's the reason why those vines, I guess, are good. That's it, yeah. And it's also um, very pebbly as well. So one of the kind of emblematic soil types of the Southern Rhone are these, these what they call galets roulés, which are like big round pebbles between the size of your fist and your head. So some of these are really big. <laughs> and it's like a cartoon shaped pebble, isn't it? It's like yeah. if I have a pebble on like the Flintstones, this is exactly what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, and that helps the, the roots kind of dive down deep into these um, clay soils as well. It encourages the vines to, to go deep down into the soil. So this is a, has a lovely freshness to it. It's actually more Syrah than Grenache in this particular wine. But it smells of kind of sun-warmed brambles, 
plums. I love that slightly darker fruit that you get from the syrup. Mm. Gives the wines a little bit of um, more noticeable fresh acidity there as well. Mm-hmm. Lovely. That's a lovely little wine. And again, um, would not be expensive at all. Tasting a wine like this, Matt, I mean, I'm sitting here going, OK, what does this remind me of? Both in terms of quality and style. I'm thinking, OK, if you're looking at the sort of like the line of latitude, it reminds me of some of maybe some of the more premium wines of Spain. It reminds me of maybe wines in Portugal. But all of these wines are wines that comparative by price you know if you're paying 12 or 13 pounds for wine like this you really are getting a ton of bang for your buck and really drinkable as well so sometimes the wines of the southern rhone they can um, they can be very very big very very powerful often you know a little bit further out you get this drinkability and it makes them more versatile with food as well which is another good thing about these wines i think you know they, they really work across a meal all the way through a meal from the starter into the main and they can work with a lot of different types of food as well yeah i'm getting hungry yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, this next wine, actually, that we've got. So this is Domaine Saint-Michel. So this is a Suze-la-Rousse. So this is a relatively new named village. So this is one of the wines which are down there on the old alluvial riverbeds. So what I'm expecting from this wine is something a little bit more concentrated, more kind of darker, thick, dark fruit. So let me just pour myself a little taster. Yeah, time to get the pate out, I think. Yeah, exactly. So let me have a little taste. Mmm. Yeah, so much more, much more succulent, fleshy, you know, really ripe, juicy. The tannins are a little bit firmer. If you're going to go for something to eat, I think um, this is really kind of crying out for, well, for, for meat, something like a burger, something maybe a little bit char-grilled on the edges. I think it's, it's a bit of a darling of the, of, of the Brit. But, you know, for special occasions, people often cook themselves a beef wellington, and there's literally nothing that goes better than a wine like this. It would be perfect. I know that we, we often in the trade talk about this dryness, this tannin in the mouth, as being called pumice tannins. Um, this is something that I used to, uh, when I was a, a wine bar at Waitrose, we used to talk, oh, that's got pumicey tannins. And I never really knew what that meant. But then, of course, a pumice stone is a, sort of like a porous rock that you, you kind of scratch dirt off your hands with, and, and it absorbs a lot of water. These tannins are very mouth-watering and very kind of dry and dusty, which cries out for some succulents in the food. And that, that tension between very dry but ripe tannins with a really succulent dish or some creamy cheese oh it's, it's incomparable it's lovely yeah that's a nice way of putting it actually in fact i know a guy who's um he's a geologist but he's also a wine expert so to have these these two things together yeah nobody knows the rhone like he does his name is georges truc and uh, he's, he's done tastings down there where he's got people to actually taste the soil that the wines <laughs> have grown it's like, like lick the stones and then taste the wines and then, but you don't know which wine is grown on which stone. And he says, generally speaking, people can actually match them up. Wow. And people tend to get it mostly right, which I thought was fascinating. I mean, it shows you the layers of interest. Even the nerd is satisfied by these wines. <laughs> <laughs> because these wines are very reliable, certainly. And uh, they have this characteristic. This is what people pay the extra 20 or 30 pounds for in a Bordeaux or Burgundy is that that extra layer of authenticity, idiosyncrasy, identification, if you like. But these wines have it in spades. I mean, there's a reason why there's 21 villages that are allowed to call themselves Cote Village, right? Some have a stronger character than others, but generally speaking, you, you can kind of pick out what you would expect from these particular villages from tasting. You mentioned estates that have English owners. And so the next wine I've got here is a Domaine de Morchon. 
So this is owned by the McKinley family, which is an English family. They picked it up in 1997. They are one of the estates which are actually the driving forces behind the named village of Segure. It's very close to Gigondas, so it's on the same massif, same kind of large hill called the, known as the Dontel de Montmirail. Yeah, the Dontel, the teeth. Yeah, these amazing great big limestone jagged teeth which kind of stick up into the sky. Such an extraordinary, extraordinary place. As a named village, Segre is one that I look out for because I like Gigondas, but it's, it's rapidly going outside my price budget. And Segre does have that wonderful, deep, crunchy fruit. Bright, though, lovely acidity. There, there's that lovely balance between freshness and, and concentration. Yeah, and for me, that's, um, that's a really good description of what Segre does. You get this kind of broad shouldered, kind of muscular wine. But because it's slightly more higher in altitude, so this particular one, this is their Tradition 2016. Uh, it's grown at 350 metres altitude. Relatively high for the Rhone. I mean, you don't get any kind of particularly big mountains, but very few things are grown at more than about 400 metres altitude. So this is relatively high up. You get that concentration power. So I'm just going to have a little taste because I've not tasted this for a while. Mm. In warm countries, we don't really like to talk about vintage variation because actually in a territory like the Southern Rhone, that's probably less important than it is uh-huh. somewhere like the UK, for example, where we have such dramatically changeable weather. But... 2016. If you people want to go out and buy wine now and they want to get exceptional value for money, wines that will keep for 10 to 20 years, I think 2016, which is on the shelf in a lot of places, is probably one of the greatest vintages they've ever had. So 2016 is very hard to go wrong, actually, in the Southern Rhone. It's just it's one of those kind of once-in-a-generation vintages. So Absolutely. if you see the 2016s, snap them up because... Um, so many brilliant wines like this one it's really kind of coming into a nice stage of maturity now nicely harmonious it's a little kind of balsamic note in the background there adding a little bit of interest lovely wine okay well uh, this is fun (laughs) (laughs) i always think that when we talk about regions like this which are so accessible as drinks I do encourage people, if they like wine at all, and they do like to have a family holiday, they should go to a region where they like the wine. And actually to visit the Southern Rhone is an experience in itself. Tourism there is really special. You've got reliable sun. Mm -hmm. You have this amazing warm days, extraordinary plethora of food. You're very close to many country boundaries as well. So there's a real interesting food subset as well. You know, I just think that a lot of people go to the Provence and they completely forget how beautiful the Rome really is. Yeah, it is a, a lovely, lovely region. Relatively unspoilt. And, you know, that's that's how I got to know the wines of the Rome so well. It's just you find a wine that you enjoy as a wine lover. So you end up going there on holiday. You, you visit a little bit more. You get to know the wines even better. And it just kind of snowballs from there, really. Brilliant. Very well uh, elucidated, Matt. Quite a nice little tasting. I hope people listening to this podcast, some of them may have some wine to drink along with it and some nice food. And I hope they enjoyed listening to what we have to say. Thanks very much, Matt, for making some of the details more clear. And you have a book coming out, right? I do, yeah. So that's, um, that's what I've been doing for the past couple of years. So I've been living down there in one of the named villages, actually, in one of the named villages called Gedania. So I've been down there for uh, two years researching uh, the book. Wow. So... It's called The Wines of the Rhone. Tough times. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could have been worse, I'll, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> so it's called The Wines of the Rhone. It's published by Infinite Ideas, and it's part of their Classic Wine Library series. So that's going to be coming out in January. But you can pre-order on blackwells.co.uk or foils.co.uk.
I know your writing of old. I know it's going to be a must-read and a must-have for someone like me. So I shall pre-order it myself, Matthew. And and also, of course, uh, for those people that want to listen to a few more wines, some other wines which Matt didn't taste today, but maybe the other named villages, I shall be putting up on my channel on YouTube, The Drinks Coach UK. And you can see what I look like in the flesh, poor people. I shall be doing a tasting, which kind of follows on from this, really, but it'll just be me indulging myself in front of lots of people watching. Thanks very much, Matt. Thank you, Joe. Thank you.